The Apostle Paul talks about goals a couple of times um, in that chapter. And I wonder whether you've ever sat down and kind of come up with some life goals and made a list of the things that you want to achieve. Do you know Johnny Wilkinson did that when he was eight? Uh, when he sat down and he took a piece of paper and he wrote on it the list of things he wanted to accomplish with his life. He wanted to play rugby for England. He wanted to be the kicker. He wanted to win the Rugby World Cup. And he achieved those goals. Or Oprah Winfrey um, set a goal that she wanted to be a millionaire by the age of 32. And she achieved her goal. And I suppose that many people who sit down and work out what they want their life goals to be generally tend to be along those lines, kind of success, financial success. Um, there was a um, famous <coughs> self-help book published in the 1930s called Think and Grow Yourself Rich. And uh, the premise of this book was that you think yourself rich first. You set this goal. And uh, you're supposed to come up with <coughs> a definite major purpose for your life. And my favorite one that I, I came across was, I've got a picture of it here, from Bruce Lee. And uh, this is his definite chief aim. Look at the top there in red. My definite chief aim. And let me just read this to you. Bruce Lee says, I, Bruce Lee will be the first highest paid oriental superstar in the United States. In return, I will give the most exciting performances and render the best of quality in the capacity of an actor. Starting 1970, I will achieve world fame. And from then onward till the end of 1980, I will have in my possession $10 million. I will live the way I please, and achieve inner harmony and happiness, signed Bruce Lee, January 1969, which was just the year before he moved back to Hong Kong, um, where he then went on from being a minor TV star to being absolutely catapulted into, into fame and fortune and achieving um, most of the things on that list. Bruce Lee knew what he wanted. And I wonder whether you do this morning. Have you ever sat down and worked out, what is it I want out of my life? What's my definite chief aim, my definite major purpose? Have you got a goal? What do you want? Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, knew what he wanted. Verse 10, chapter 3. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. To know the power of his resurrection participating in his sufferings and becoming like him in his death, which might seem a little bit morbid, but remember, as Paul just said, he's in prison. He's just about to face his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. It's a pretty stupendous goal, isn't it? I don't think there could be any loftier thing to aim at than those twin targets of the knowledge of Christ, to know personally, intimately, to have a relationship with the creator, the sustainer, the savior of the universe, Jesus Christ, to know Christ and to participate in the resurrection, to know the power of his resurrection and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead, to be among that number who on resurrection day are there. Because there will be a day, one day, Jesus Christ will return, the trumpet, the loud trumpet will sound, the dead will rise. 
What, and just imagine that day. Just can you picture it? The dead rising, resurrection day. And Paul is saying, I want to be there. I want to be in that number when the saints come marching in. That's what Paul's goal was. Obviously, that is the highest goal. I think if you believe that's true, if you believe in Jesus Christ and you believe in the resurrection, as Paul did, as I do, I hope you do as well, if you believe in those things, obviously there can be no higher goal worth infinitely more than any financial success or any sports trophy, which the South Africans are very welcome to. I'm not bitter at all. Um, (laughs) That was Paul's goal. But I take it that he's sharing his goal with the church because he's wanting to inspire the church that that ought to be their goal as well. I don't think Paul is sharing this goal with the church so you can say, well, this is my goal. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. What's your goal? You want to be a millionaire age 32? Well, good for you. Go and do you. He's trying to share his goal with the church to inspire them. This is not just his goal. This is the goal that we should all have as Christians. That's what he's saying, verse 17. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. This example of living with this goal. So how are we going to do that? How are we going to attain to this great goal? Well, um, if, like me, you did um, GCSE business studies, then you'll know that goals need to be smart. And uh, I don't know whether the person who came up with smart goals must have been reading Philippians 3, I think, because I think pretty much what um, Paul does after he sets this great big goal in verse 10 and 11, he then spends the next chunk of the few verses that we heard read explaining to them why this goal is specific and measurable and attainable and relevant and timely. Do you know that framework for setting a goal? I thought we'd just, we'd just work through it like that. Um, this is what Paul said, the goal is specific. It's so specific. You've got to have a specific target to aim at, because otherwise if somebody said, aim at nothing, you'll hit every time. Um, you've got to have a specific goal. And look at the second half of verse 13. Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what's behind straining towards what is ahead I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me the upward call of God in Christ as we were just singing and surely like the most difficult thing probably with any goal whether it's trying to kick a rugby ball or trying to perfect your kung fu or trying to get rich or trying to know Christ is you're going to get distracted you know we're trying to do too many things and Paul says Verse 13, one thing, one thing I do, just one. And I was having a conversation this week with a friend of mine who was talking about the importance of just doing a few things, doing a few things and doing them well. I think Paul would agree with that. I think he'd go one step further and say, I'm only trying to do one thing. I'm just trying to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. One thing, laser focused, forgetting all other distractions single-minded forgetting what is behind straining towards what is ahead it's that picture of a guy running a race absolutely focused dedicated on the finish line straining towards what is ahead and if we haven't got that end in mind you know it's difficult to run um there's a famous story of florence chadwick who was the lady who was the first lady to swim the English Channel in 1950. Uh, And then a couple of years later, she wanted to be the first woman to swim um, from Catalina Island, which is 26 miles off the coast of California, further to swim from Catalina Island to California, 26 miles further than the English Channel. And that was her next goal. 
And so she set off, and she's swimming, 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 with a couple of boats alongside her, you know, for kind of moral support and give her direction and stuff, look out for sharks. And she's swimming 15 hours into her swimming. I can't imagine swimming for 15 hours. Thick fog set in, and she, she thought, I can't do it. And the, she, the boat, she's saying, I can't do it. The boat's saying, no, you can do it. Her mum's in the boat. You can do it, you can do it. No, I can't. Uh, so she quit. And she got out of the sea and into the boat. And when they did that, she discovered she was less than a mile. 26 miles. She was less than a mile from the finish. And she couldn't see the finish, which is why she stopped. And isn't that the case when we're going through the Christian life? So often we just kind of, the fog comes and clouds it sets in and we get so distracted we can't see the finish line and the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth come in and choke and distractions and doubts and difficult circumstances just throw us off course. We've got this goal but we can't see it and we get clouded. And the only thing that will keep us going, what we need is to keep our eyes fixed on this goal. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. And that's what Florence Chadwick did in the end. Two months later she had another go and she set off. Same thing happened. Fog sets in she kept going and she made it and the way and she said it was because even when the fog came in she just kept a mental picture in her mind of the shoreline she just kept she kept going that was her goal got to be a specific goal but also measurable you want to know how you're doing and interestingly paul wants the church to know how he's doing he wants the church to know that he's not there yet. Isn't that interesting? Verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. Verse 13 repeats himself. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Why does he say that? Why does he want the church to know he's not there yet? I think it's because some people thought they were there. You know, they had already arrived at their goal. And I think that's true partly because he's warning against that. But also today, I think there's a temptation for people to think that they're there now as well. And some churches and teachers teach this. They don't say it's all there. They say, no, it's now. And that's a very popular kind of a teaching that we're to experience all of this now. And one friend of mine was taking issue with one of the songs that we sing sometimes at St. Mark's. Um, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. You know that one? The resurrected king is resurrecting me. And he said, terrible theology. Because we've already been raised with Christ. Um, and so we've already been crucified with Christ. We've already been raised with Christ. We've co-ascended. And therefore, we should experience this resurrection power now. And so the song shouldn't be, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. The resurrected king has resurrected me. And therefore, now I can live in this victorious power. I, I can know now this resurrection power. I think there's a problem with that. And the problem is disillusionment. We think, well, the kingdom is now. Um, well, then we're, we're going to get so disillusioned whenever we face, whenever the fog comes and sets in. I mean, Paul's in prison. He wasn't living his best life now. I've seen that happen. I've seen people being really influenced by this kind of teaching where we're to expect this, you know, resurrection power all now. And people just end up losing their faith. The guy who wrote that song that we sung a minute ago, 
Um, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forevermore. That guy, he's a worship pastor of Hillsong, has walked away from his faith. And he gave as his explanation why he doesn't believe he's a Christian anymore, because he says, supposed to be seeing all these miracles all the time. Where are they? And he'd been given an expectation that this resurrection power was supposed to be for, all, for now, all of it, now. And I've seen people go off the lose their faith because of that and I think it's tragic and Paul is saying look I'm not there yet he warns against this false teaching he, he's in to Timothy 2 Timothy 2 he warns against Philetus and Hymenaeus false teachers who say the resurrection's already taken place and so they destroy the faith of some and I think it can be incredibly discouraging when you face hardship and it doesn't all go well for you in this life and you think well is this supposed to be I'm not experiencing what I'm being told I should. And Paul says, well, look, I, don't, I want you to know, I haven't arrived there. I haven't taken hold of this yet. Yes, the kingdom is now. Yes, I know Jesus now. Of course we do. Yes, I've got the measure of power, but it's also still to come. It's now and it's not yet. Yes, the kingdom has come and it's still coming. Now we know in part, then we will know fully. We see in part, then we'll see face to face. And so, yeah, we've got to measure. I think it's important to measure. And Paul wants to say, not yet. Yes now, but also not yet. And I think that's amazing encouragement to any of us here who are struggling with a bit of disappointments. The goal is still in the future. Is it attainable? That's the third one. No point having a goal that you can't attain. Well, that's, look again, verse 11. What's Paul want to do? He wants so somehow <coughs> to attain to the resurrection of the dead. That's what he wants to do. He wants to attain the resurrection. Well, how's he going to do that? Well, this was last week, if you were here. Uh, go back and listen to it on the podcast. Christine's whole point was, how are we going to attain this great salvation? Is it going to be by our own efforts? Is it going to be by our own... Where's our confidence? Is it in my own religious energy and my own reading the Bible and praying and fasting and giving, you know, by directly monthly standing order, direct debit to the church um, uh, to close the 4.5%? You know, that's how I'm going to attain... Well, Paul says, no, look, verse... Four, if someone else thinks they've got reasons to put confidence in their own abilities to attain that salvation, I've got way more. I've ticked all these religious boxes. He says, all of these are garbage compared to what Christ, not what I do for Christ, but what Christ has done for me. I want a righteousness, verse 9, not of my own, but the righteousness that comes from God. And so actually, this goal, how is it attainable? It's already been attained for us Christ is the one who gives us this great salvation and he's already secured it he has attained it well hang on does that mean does that undermine what we just said does that mean we don't need to do anything if it's already been attained for us do we need to take our foot off the gas and it doesn't matter what we do no verse 16 Paul says let us live up to what we have already attained It's already been attained for us, this goal, but the fact that Christ has attained it for us doesn't set us free from the obligation to live up to what we've attained. It sets us free to be able to live out what we've attained. It doesn't free from the obligation to press on towards the goal. It frees us to be able to press on towards the goal. That's why Paul says in verse 12, I'm pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Verse 14, I press on towards the goal to win the prize, which God has already won. He's already called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. I think that's so encouraging. This goal has already been won for us. Let's walk into it. 
It's already been attained. Let's live up to what's already attained. And it needs to be relevant to the... The goal needs to be relevant to the rest of the organisation, is what, is what they say. And actually, isn't that so true? Don't we all need to share this goal? I mean, if you've got one goal over here, and I've got another goal over here, and I'm going that way, and someone else has got another goal over there, we're not very united, are we? And remember, one of the great things, the themes that's gone all the way through this letter of Philippians is unity. Paul is like, the key verse was chapter 1, verse 27. Paul wants the church to be striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, contending together side by side, have being one in spirit, one mind, one contending together, striving together, unity. And how are we going to have unity? We've all got to have the same goal. Remember the picture of, I've got it again. Remember this picture of, this was the picture, the phalanx. Look at that. Imagine the church like that, apart from not armed with big spikes, but with love and with joy and with peace. That's, what, that's the picture of the church. Well, if you're going to be like that and united, you've got to have the same goal. And that's why Paul says, verse 17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. I think it's pretty important if we're going to do that to have people around us who share our goal, uh, who we can kind of look up to, like role models. It says that, doesn't it? Keep, um, you have us as a model. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. That's such good advice, isn't it? Role models and mentors don't come to us. We've got to kind of seek them out. We've got to keep our eyes on them. I think that's my biggest prayer for this men's weekend. Honestly, if you haven't booked a ticket, book a ticket for next weekend. Get your phone out. You can do it now. Book it, book it online. Go and book a ticket off Marcus in the break. I hope for this men's weekend that mentoring relationships, role modeling experiences will come out of that weekend. I mean, young guys, if you're a young guy in this church, look around at some of the older guys. Who are you looking at? Who you want to be like them? Or young ladies, look at some of the older women who've been living with this goal in mind and you'll be inspired by them. I think that's so important. I was talking, I don't think you mind me sharing this. I had lunch yesterday with my best man, not a Christian, talking about his career, and he's trying to be a millionaire by age 32. He's 33, so he's not managed to make that. But he's working for a bank. He's trying to be rich. That's his goal. He's t- he was telling me about, here's this guy in his bank who he's looking up to, the guy who his boss, and then there's another guy who's, you know, a really senior guy, and he's amazing, and he's an inspiration to him. And he's, he's, t- he's telling me, I'm looking at that guy, and I'm looking at that guy, and I'm going, how can I get there? What have they done to get there? I think we need that. If we've got to have, looking around at people who are, Brothers and sisters, join and follow my example. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Because there's plenty of bad role models. I mean, this guy's who he's looking at in the bank. That's verse 18, isn't it? They've got the wrong goal. Paul weeps as he says, look, I've told you before and tell you again, even with tears. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is not resurrection. It's destruction. Their God is their stomach. How visual a picture that is. But I think this goal is... is Part of the way that we're going to be attained is by looking around other people. Who's sharing this goal with me? And fifthly, timely. Because all goals <clears throat> need a deadline. And, but fortunately, that's in the Lord's hands. Verse 20. We eagerly await a saviour. Our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await the saviour from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. Who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Will, I think this is interesting. So many people, their goal is the transformation of the body. <clears throat> Spend all their time taking selfies in the gym. Well, if you want that, 
that's included in verse 21. He will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. What an amazing promise. If your goal is Christ, well, you get all of this thrown in as well. It's like that, you seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you as well. C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, you get neither. Their mind is on earthly things, but we've got a citizenship in heaven. So this is the goal, to know Christ and to know his resurrection. And I just love, as we come into land, this summary verse 15. I think this has got to be the most passive-aggressive verse in the whole Bible. I think it's brilliant. Verse 15, all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that's who God will make clear to you. I'm going to start saying that in meetings, I think. Start signing off my emails like that. All of you ought to agree with me. And if at some point you think differently, well, the Lord will make that clear to you. Um, I love that. But Paul's point, I mean, he can get away with it because he's an apostle. I think his point is that this is the goal. Having that goal is the goal of a mature Christian. All of us, then, who are mature should take that view. And I wonder whether you'd say you're mature you want to be mature? Do you want to be a mature Christian? Is that your goal? I mean, this is, this is the goal of a mature Christian. I came across this article this week. Um, Barna Group, they're a research group, and they do research into the church and so on. And it was looking at the American church. They're not quite the same as us. But it said that in churches in America, what type of Christians are? There's four types of Christians in the pews in the churches in America. Number one, prodigals, 22%. Or ex-Christians, do not identify themselves as a Christian despite having attended a Protestant or Catholic church as a child or a teen or having considered themselves to be a Christian at some time. Secondly, nomads, 30%. Or lapsed Christians, identify themselves as Christian but haven't attended church during the past month. The vast majority of nomads haven't been involved with the faith community for six months or more. That's nomads. Habitual churchgoers, 38%. Describe themselves as Christian and have attended church at least once in the past month, yet do not have foundational core beliefs or behaviours associated with being an intentional, engaged disciple. 38%. Fourthly, only 10%. I'm sure it's higher here. I'm sure it's higher at St. Mark's. Fourthly, resilient disciples, or you might say mature Disciples are Christians who, one, attend church at least monthly, engage with their church more than just attending worship services. Two, trust firmly in the authority of the Bible. Three, committed to Jesus personally and affirm he was crucified and raised from the dead to conquer sin and death. And four, express a desire to transform the broader society as an outcome of their faith. And so this research says these four groups, all with similar church backgrounds, report noticeably different experiences and perceptions of life, faith, and relationships. So we explore these differences in depth in order to understand how young Christians, along with their parents and churches, can grow resilient, lifelong faith. And I read that and thought, how extraordinary. This is talking about how can we be mature Christians? Well, Paul says, all of us who are mature take this view. Don't we want to be that? I, I read that just to say, now, I want to, everyone here to be welcome. I, I, I don't want to read that to sort of say a judgment on anybody sitting here thinking, oh, I don't know where I am. We're all on really different you know, paths in our journey of faith. I hope there's more than just those four categories here. I hope there's atheists here. I hope there's people who don't know what they think. Everybody's so welcome. And I hope we're all learning and growing together. But I hope that there's a, a significant number of us whose heart and whose desire is to want to grow to be a resilient disciple and to be mature. Well, Paul says, 
all of us who are mature should take this view. We should have this goal. I want to know Christ. Is that your goal? Isn't that a great goal? I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Participating in sufferings, becoming like in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray, shall we? Shall we stand?